Best Western made booking our family beach vacation a breeze, and it felt a little like... <laughs> Time to go. Okay, kids, back in the room. Good night. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western. The Volvo XC60 Recharge Plug-In Hybrid is about performance. Not just on the road, but in life. With not only trunk space, but room to make memories. It's electric with a backup plan where the only speed that matters is how fast you can slow down. The Volvo XC60 Recharge Plug-In Hybrid. Performance where it matters the most. Visit volvocars.com slash US to learn more. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank, and I want to introduce you to somebody who helps us out behind the scenes here. My name is Antonia Akatunde. Antonia is on our editorial board. She helps us to find stories for the show. I asked Antonia to work with us because she's got this awesome project called Modern Mia. It's a website where she features interviews with Black women, Black mothers specifically, who have interesting jobs. Yeah, from from my perspective, it was a way of filling a void in the media landscape um, where Black women are presented um, outside of, you know, the stereotypes. You're either, um, you know, the uh, welfare mom stereotype, the angry Black woman stereotype, and then, you know, there's only one Michelle Obama. And I wanted to show that there was, um, you know, different ways and spaces of being Black and being a mother and being a career woman. Uh, for myself, and also I, I figured other people would be interested in that as well. Modern Mia has all kinds of content geared toward Black working moms. There's lifestyle tips, like how to handle the stress of working while Black, beauty tips, like how to care for your skin and hair. There's tips on family relationships, like how to deal with unwelcoming in-laws. And there's a whole series on mental illness in the Black community. Modern Mia is just stunning visually. The photos are huge, colorful, beautifully shot. The pictures of Black women doing things that parents do with their kids, like sitting in a rocking chair while your baby grabs at your face, or cheering as your kid blows out his birthday candles, or dancing with your kids in their bedroom. The details in Modern Mia's photos and interviews are super touching and emotional. And it's inspiring to see the pictures of these women with their families right next to pictures of them kicking ass in their jobs, like singing on Broadway and working in the military and dancing and teaching. Antonia is especially interested in the creative types and entrepreneurs. She's both of those things. Before she launched her website, she used to work as an editor at the Huffington Post, and she's written for places like The New York Times, Fast Company, and The Root. Today, we'll be hearing about some of the amazing women that Antonia has featured on Modern Mia, and Antonia will share some stories from her own life, something she doesn't do on her website. Antonia started Modern Mia four years ago, back when work-life balance for women became a really hot topic. There was Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, 
There was that article in The Atlantic by Anne-Marie Slaughter on why women still can't have it all. And I was really interested in those conversations, um, kind of being, you know, mid-career journalist um, at an age where I started feeling like I was supposed to find the guy to have the kids and then also have this career. Uh, so the the language used in Lean In and having it all was really attractive to me. Uh, but the women who were having those discussions looked nothing like me. Antonia thought about the career women who do look like her, her girl crushes, Black women with strong, creative voices, like the artist Wengechi Mutu, the actress Rhonda Ross, and the poet and LGBT rights activist Stacey Ann Chin. Antonia called them up, and she was like, look, you're a unicorn to me. What you have, like a creative career and kids, it seems completely unattainable. So definitely, <laughs> um, I can't I can't pretend that it was totally <laughs> community service-based. It was definitely me being like, I want to know how you guys do this, because I, I would love to be, you know, in your number one day. The women told Antonia things like, well, you know, you can wake up way before your kids or go to bed way after them so that you have me time. And you can try to work near where you live so you don't waste time on your commute. But mainly, they told her, there is no such thing as work-life balance. It's more like a work-life juggle. Antonia realized, these unicorns, they're just like you and me. You know, they're just struggling to get by. And it was kind of discouraging. But Antonia also quickly realized that she had the opportunity to do something nobody else was doing on the internet. I I think that with... Uh, not even just Black motherhood, but like the Black community in general, the news tends to focus on kind of what a pathology that they see in the Black community. So it's, you know, Black women are never going to get married because statistics or Black men are in prison or um, Black families are broken. And it, it's just, it's um, kind of heartbreaking <laughs> to constantly see um, these these things being reflected back to you that looks nothing like what you know of your your life and your world and, and your community. So when the site started, I didn't even realize how, I don't want to like toot my own horn, but kind of revolutionary it was for people to see a beautifully done photo of a Black woman reading to her child or like holding their hand or, you know, doing normal stuff that all moms do, but for whatever reason isn't what is seen in the media depiction of motherhood. She's right. You know, the first time I saw Mater Mia, I realized how rare it is to see gorgeous pictures of Black women at work and at home on the internet. You know, you see that a lot with white women, but not so much with Black women. What Antonia is doing is so, so needed. And she's not just showing you the beautiful stuff either. She also tackles the hard stuff. Sometimes I wonder if I let him go out into the world, are they going to embrace him as I do? Or are they just going to chalk him up to just being whatever ideas they have about Black boys? Antonia made a video recently for her site called These Are Our Children. It's five minutes long, and it features four moms with their kids. They're sitting on a white couch in a white, brightly lit room, and they're talking about how their children are perceived out in the world. It really saddens me when we are in spaces that are not predominantly Black, and the way that people, you know, treat my children. This is one of the moms, Yolanda Sanguini. She's the deputy editor at Essence magazine. I remember once we were at the Brooklyn Museum, and we were in the sandcastle. And one of my sons accidentally 
cooked sand in some little girl's eye. And this parent grabbed his daughter and said, let's get out of here. These people are acting like animals. Animals, I mean, it's a two-year-old or three-year-old child, and you're saying, acting like animals. And I was like, oh my God, this is the world that these boys are gonna occupy. Raising black children. Can you talk about the video and, and what was the motivation behind it? Yeah, so the video um, was done just because I was um, inspired by a headline that I saw that um, I think it's the American Psychology Association found that police and the general public think that black boys are 4.5 years older than they actually are. And, you know, that just hit they, me. they think that they, that they look older. They, yeah, they think that they look older. Um, and I remember also reading um, that the police who called in Tamir Rice's shooting identify, misidentified him as a 20-year-old when he was just 12. My son looks a lot like Tamir Rice, so there was definitely that connection there. And I remember us making a recording a conversation when he talked about it. And at seven years old, he was articulating his fears of being a black child being killed by the police. And this is someone who, when he was four or five, would high-five police officers and, and say, Mommy, look, we're okay, the police are here. And he's now turned into this boy who's just like, I don't want to talk to police. While Antonia was recording interviews with Yolanda and the other women in the video, she kept all their kids busy with markers and paper, which is my favorite part of the video, seeing the kids' drawings. The reason why I wanted to include the kids' drawings is because I wanted to also include how they see themselves. Um, and I thought that was like a really sweet way of, of showing, you know, the world might see them as, you know, older and less innocent. But these drawings um, are just a, a perfect embodiment of, you know, who our actual children are. Like they have dreams, they're adorable, they, you know, want to be dojo masters and uh, engineers. I want to be an engineer when I grow up. When I grow up, I want to be an actress. For like the first part of my life, I want to be like a dancer, but then I want to open up a dance academy. And maybe a baker if I learn how to make a cookie the right way. Antonia says she's especially interested in helping Black moms portray their kids as just young, innocent kids because of disturbing experiences she had growing up. Like, I remember waiting outside of a grocery store with my younger brother in um, the, the shopping cart seat, and um, I had to have been 12, and someone came up to me and asked me if that was my baby, and I was like, no. Wow. Like, why? Like, I didn't... Of course, now I can say, why would you assume that? Because, like, you know, Black children are having babies and you think I'm a teen mom. But, you know, at the time I told my mom that story. I was like, haha, someone thought that, like, you know, that was my baby. And I can't imagine what she thought. But, you know, now now as an adult and talking about these things, it's like, wow, like, I'm 12. <laughs> and you, like, and I looked 12. When I was 12, I did not, like— develop until I was, I don't know, I'm still waiting. <laughs> but yeah. Coming up, moms from Antonia's site talk about how they've handled discussing racism and police brutality with their kids. And one woman takes extraordinary lengths to keep her kids safe. Stay with us. <laughs> Best Western made booking our family beach vacation a breeze. And it felt a little like... <laughs> Time to go. 
Okay, kids, back in the room. You gotta come on, guys. <laughs> this has to be like. Good night. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western. The Volvo XC60 Recharge Plug-In Hybrid is about performance. Not just on the road, but in life. With not only trunk space, but room to make memories. It's electric with a backup plan where the only speed that matters is how fast you can slow down. The Volvo XC60 Recharge Plug-In Hybrid. Performance where it matters the most. Visit volvocars.com slash US to learn more. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. We're back with Antonia Akitunde, who founded Modern Mia, a website about Black motherhood and career. Of course, in a project about Black motherhood, the theme of racism comes up all the time, almost no matter what the interview is about. Antonia interviewed this one mom, Takima Bunchy-Smith, about her experience with stillbirth. Takima eventually went on to have a viable pregnancy, and that son, named Naeem, is now 10 years old. At the end of the interview, Takima talked about an incident at a school where she worked 15 years ago. So at that time, Takima was a first grade teacher at a public school in Brooklyn. The playground was right up against the playground for another school, a yeshiva with Hasidic kids. Takima's students were kids from the neighborhood. They were mostly Latino and Black. And the Hasidic kids started teasing them at recess. Here's Antonia. The kids from the yeshiva were um, yelling like, slurs at the kids and, like, uh, throwing things at the kids. And so um, her students ran to her and were like, you know, Miss Bunchy, Miss Bunchy, this this horrible thing has happened. Um, and she was like, you know, what should we do? So the kids wrote letters and uh, drew pictures of what happened and how it made it, them feel. The class delivers the packet of letters and drawings to the principal at the yeshiva. And then this thing happens that I just find remarkable. The next day, the principal runs over to Takima's classroom, apologizes, tells the kids his students were out of line and they will not behave this way again. And the kids felt really empowered, like, oh, my gosh, we made change. We made change happen in our community. They realized, oh, wow, like what I feel matters and I can use words instead of actions um, or violence to to address you know, racism. So I thought that was a really, really cool story. And they went around the school and told everybody about it. And uh, it was like a teachable moment from these first graders. I was so blown away by this story because like, how often do stories about kids and institutions and racism end well, or even just stories about bullying at school? So we reached out to Takima to see if she's been able to apply any of her creative teaching techniques to her conversations at home with her son. When it, when it comes to teaching, it's like it feels like that I had the space to kind of be creative around that sort of thing. And with my own son, it's actually been really painful and um, hard to find, like, the happy ending. Takima says when it's your own kid asking about racism, it's hard to not be a total wreck. 
She remembers the day it was announced that Daniel Pantaleo would not be indicted. He's the officer on Staten Island who held Eric Garner in a lethal chokehold. That night, Takima was reading to her son in bed. And um, I think he asked me a question about something and I randomly burst into tears. And, and he said, what happened? You know, that was such a, why are you crying? And then I said to him, you know, I'm really sad because something happened today that made me upset. And I explained to him what happened. And the first thing he said to me was, mommy, do the police sometimes kill children too? And so I kept crying (laughs) and I was trying not to cry because I want to make him feel safe. But I was thinking about this seven-year-old girl named Ayana in Detroit, I think it was, who was sitting in the living room with her grandmother watching TV and the police did a raid and shot and killed her. So I felt like I couldn't lie to him. And I said, you know, sometimes people really have been hurt and kids have been hurt by the police. Um, And he was upset. Takima says she wished she could have empowered her son in that moment, like she did with her first graders. Instead, she just said she was there to protect him, and that they had friends who were activists, and they were working to change things. But it all felt pretty unsatisfying. It's not like at the school where there was something concrete she could do in that moment. Antonia hears about a lot of conversations like this from mothers of Black boys, She told me about one mom who was fed up with not being able to do anything about her fear of police brutality. So she did something. My name is Elmika Henderson. Elmika's a single mom. She's got a nine-year-old son named Chris. Antonia recently featured Elmika's story on her site. It starts with this scene in Penn Station. Elmika sends her son to use the bathroom. Um, He said he couldn't find it. And I asked him, why didn't he just ask the cop who was standing nearby? And then he just kind of looked at me. And I knew exactly what that meant. It meant that he was afraid to talk to the cop. Chris was only seven at the time. Elmika was heartbroken. She also says Chris is a big kid. Bias aside, he does look a couple years older than he is. She was trying to imagine a life where Chris could go to a playground or like ride his bike and just be a kid without worrying that something horrible would happen to him. And I couldn't think of any place in the United States where he could do that. So I started looking for opportunities to move abroad. They moved all the way to Japan. Elmika got a job as a school psychologist in Tokyo. And while her son Chris has definitely gotten the chance to have a more worry-free childhood, they haven't escaped racism. Being Black in Japan is interesting. Um, We definitely stand out. Um, there is a misconception that I am cool and I can sing and dance and rap, um, but, um... At its worst, people will kind of stare at them on the train or, you know, not want to sit next to them. But here, a foreigner is a foreigner. So they treat white foreigners the same way. So I don't feel as bad. Antonia says her feature on Almika got a huge response. So people who read the article were really inspired by it. Um, I think there is a growing conversation among um, some Black people about leaving the country um, and finding a space where they feel safe and where they feel like um, their race won't be um, a life or death situation. So uh, we spun that off into a a series called uh, Black Moms Abroad. Um, So we've had moms in uh, South Korea, um, a lot of moms in Dubai and uh, the United um, Arab Emirates, um, Amsterdam, Ghana, uh, London, um, Rome, Vienna. So it's... Some of these places that you're listing have more of a Black population than others. Well, it's, um, it's funny because 
a, a, criti- a criticism that I've had about the series is um, it's presenting these women escaping racism. And that's that's not true. I'm sure that they still have to deal with being um, Black in homogenous spaces. Um, the only person that we've featured so far in a uh, majority Black space was um, the woman who lives in Ghana. Uh, everywhere else, I would say, you're still one of the few, if not the only, in your space. Uh, but they still, for um, a variety of reasons, feel like that was the best decision for their family. In a minute, Antonia thinks about the decisions she'll have to make for her own future family. Don't go away. (laughs) Best Western made booking our family beach vacation a breeze, and it felt a little like... Time to go. Okay, kids, back in the room. (laughs) Good night. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western. The Volvo XC60 Recharge Plug-In Hybrid is about performance. Not just on the road, but in life. With not only trunk space, but room to make memories. It's electric with a backup plan where the only speed that matters is how fast you can slow down. The Volvo XC60 Recharge Plug-In Hybrid. Performance where it matters the most. Visit volvocars.com slash US to learn more. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. We're back with Antonia Akatunde, who runs the website Modern Mia. Antonia grew up in Kansas City. Way back before she was born, her parents came to the U.S. from Nigeria, but not at the same time. Her dad came first. So her mom and dad were in a transcontinental, long-distance relationship for six years. Uh, I think my dad came in um, in the 70s, and my mom came like 1980, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. And what was it like growing up with them? What What are they like? How did they parent, how did they parent you? <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's so funny because I, I love them so much now, <laughs> and I appreciate them so much now. Um, but I think any first-generation kid will tell you, like, you see how other people are parented, and you want that. You want to be able to go to sleepovers. My parents were very much of the mindset that they were not my friends um, and that they were just there to, not just there, but uh, they wanted to provide um, everything that I needed, the bare minimum for me to have an education and a better life than what they left in, in Nigeria at the time. Um, I, It's funny because I... I talk to my parents a lot about this stuff now that I have the website and how much I can appreciate the choreography that they went through of having three kids um, working all the time to support those kids. So, you know, growing up, I didn't really hear like, I love you or I'm so proud of you or good job. It was just assumed that I was doing a good job. Um, And I remember asking my dad, like, you know, why was that? He was like, well, of course I loved you. Like you had a roof over your head and you had clothes 
Um, so it it definitely informs like what I do want to do when I eventually have kids uh, one day, and what I don't want to do. Like I um, I do think that there is something to be said for saying I love you sooner than when your kids in, <laughs> are in their twenties. <laughs> um, so yeah. Oh, can you remember the first time that your dad said he loved you? Um, I'm sure. I'm sure he he said it like before I was in my 20s, but we have like this little shtick that we do now. Um, he always tells me I have to call home at least three times a week so that they know I'm not dead. <laughs> um, and uh, we, um, I said, I love you buttloads um, on accident because that's something that I used to say to someone <laughs> else. And he thought that I said busload. Um, <laughs> so now every time we get off the phone, he'll like change the mode of transportation. He'll be like, oh, I love you train loads. I love you plane loads. Um, and that's something that we do now. And I'm sure he said it when I was growing up, but it just didn't feel the same way as um, as affectionate as, you know. It's like intentional now. Yeah, yeah. It's very much more intentional. Um, one of my first memories of my um, – of like me interacting with my dad um, was him playing dead a lot. <laughs> so like, there's actually a picture of me like crying over my dad's body, and he's like laying down, um, and like that's kind of it. <laughs> like it's just like a lot of uh, um, not like oh we're hugging. It's just like me really like no where did you go? <laughs> but it was a game. But it was a game. It was a game. <laughs> um. And did your mom work growing up? Yeah, yeah, she she did. Um, I think she was a housekeeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and now she is a, a registered nurse in a nursing home in Kansas City. Um, but I I remember um, just the fact that she had to work mornings, um, like really early mornings. And my dad had like a nine to five at a bank. Um, he was in charge of getting us ready to, you know, go on the bus. And, you know, before I started wearing my hair naturally, he was the one like putting, you know, child relaxers in my hair and like washing it out for me and um, putting my hair in little braids and, and whatnot. And he uh, wanted his daughter to be a girly girl. So he loved like putting me in dresses and, and whatnot. So I remember um, you know, that kind of choreography that they had to do where they would switch off. So, so you, you really saw them sharing responsibilities. Yeah, definitely. And definitely. do you, you have how many siblings? I have two younger brothers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my mom would get off um, at three, and so she was there to pick us up when the bus came and, like, uh, you know, make lunch and ask us about homework and make sure, you know, she gave us extra homework, which might be another first generation kid thing. <laughs> like, you know, I don't, I want you to be, you know, further ahead than like your your classmates. Antonia would try to rebel. You know, she'd have her mom drop her off at the library to study and then she'd run off to hang out with the kids who her parents called a bad influence. You know, the kids who smoked cigarettes and skipped class and did drugs. Of course, her mom would figure it out. Antonia's parents would get her back in line by reminding her of everything they'd been through to give her this American education, like how they'd left their families in Nigeria, how they worked jobs that they were overqualified for, how they had to deal with racism suddenly as adults. All of this was so that she could have better opportunities than they ever did. Antonia says it was hard having her parents be career-driven on her behalf. She was so far removed from whatever they went through in Nigeria— You know, her biggest worries were keeping up with the coolest clothes and dealing with middle school drama. 
She says her parents were so preoccupied, they didn't seem to have time to listen to her feelings, which for a feelingsy kid was hard to understand. Now, though, she says she realizes her parents are people and they were doing the best they could, which is a thing that I think most of us realize when we grow up. One of Antonia's favorite things about making Modern Mia is she gets to hear about all the different ways that people parent, you know, all the options that are available to her. She's been talking about that on the Modern Mia podcast, which she just launched. So the first episode, uh, we were talking about uh, the challenges of Black motherhood um, that other races might not have to deal with. Antonia's first podcast guest was a woman named Yolanda Galt. This is a different Yolanda than the one in the video that we talked about earlier in the show. This Yolanda is a journalist. She recently wrote an essay in the New York Times about how Black women are better equipped to stay out of the mommy wars that have become such a problem for white women. The article went viral and, of course, was super controversial. Yolanda has three kids, two in high school, one in elementary school. On Antonia's podcast, she talks about making sure her kids' teachers know who she is. It's a strategy she recommends for all Black mothers. And I understand when people say, look, I work. I, I cannot be up in that school. Mm. I, and But I find that, I mean, and like I, I said, it, it, it makes me, I've, I've always got a bazillion balls in the air. And I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, I don't go every week and read to the class. I'm not saying I bake fresh cookies. <laughs> I'm just saying that at least once a month or so, I do something. I I do. I feel a little bit of a pressure to make sure I am seen. Yolanda talks about how if the teachers don't see her at school at least once a month, she runs the risk of being thought of as a negligent parent, which I got to say, as a white mom, I know is not a risk I have. Like if I'm feeling too busy to go to something or to volunteer, I feel guilty, but I never feel like I need to prove anything to anyone because of my skin color. You know, my mom did the the exact same thing. She was always at every parent-teacher conference, always asking questions, always, you know, um, she was there. Uh, And I don't know if she she felt like she had to be there for the same reason that Yolanda Yolanda did. I mean, maybe. That's a question I'll ask her (laughs) later. So you're not a mother yet, Antonia, but I've heard you talk openly about wanting to be one someday. How has this project changed the way that you imagine yourself as a mom? I think um, I always envisioned myself um, as being like a very anxious mom, just because I'm an anxious person in general. Um, I I think I viewed myself um, in the, you know, um, pre-modern Mia as someone who would need to have a plan. So... My friends all know this, but like 32 is my scary age uh, because I felt like if I don't have a plan for every possible aspect of my life by the time I'm 32, then like I might as well just stop. <laughs> like it's just, Can it's I not going to happen for me. Can I ask how old you are now? I'm 31. <laughs> so it's, it's looming. <laughs> um, but now that I realize that this idea of having it all and this idea that you can plan for your children um, to have a very perfect life doesn't exist. I feel like that's really freeing. So even though I'm sure I'll still have that anxiousness about certain things in my in my mother my eventual motherhood journey, I don't think I'll be as oh my god this doesn't fit like my my one year plan for this child or my five year plan or so I, I feel like I'll I'll be a less anxious mother. Um, I I think seeing other 
um, ways of disciplining kids is um, is awesome to me because I I came from you know a traditional Nigerian family which like didn't spare the rod and you know when I talked about my fiance or talked to my fiance about that he's like well we're not we're not hitting our kids and I'm like but what about what if they like how do you get kids to do <laughs> the right thing if they don't have the live under the constant threat of being uh, slapped upside their head um, but seeing other women having like a more intentional and mindful approach to to disciplining their kids um, makes me see that okay maybe I don't maybe I don't have to like model what I grew up with. So you are getting married soon. I am. <laughs> and your fiancé is a white guy. Yes. Um, how do your parents feel about you being in a relationship with a white guy and about having interracial kids? My dad has always said, I don't care, like, who he, what the color is as long as he treats you well. And he could not have asked for a better future uh, son-in-law than, than Scott in that regard. And I think as long as I'm happy, they're happy. As long as the kids are healthy, they're happy. So in terms of my family, I've never had to deal with, like, oh, interracial relationship uh, concerns. That's more stuff that I have where it's like, okay, I'm going to have these um, these mixed kids who are half-Jewish and um, we're probably still going to be in New York, so they are mo- more likely going to spend more time with the white side of their family. How do I bring the way that I was brought up and my blackness and my Nigerianness to them when I'm removed from you know my family, which is the the main core of the, of my Nigerianness? Um, so those are things that I think about more than my How parents. Are you? That's the thing. I, I I think I need to figure that out by the time I turn 32, or else I might as well not do it. <laughs> well, it's coming up. We'll, yeah. we'll check back in on it. Yeah. <laughs> One woman on the site, Timberly Whitfield, she's a TV talk show personality, had an interesting perspective on this. Just like Antonia, she's Black and her husband's a white Jewish guy. They're raising their kids Jewish and they go to a Jewish school. Timberly says, it's strange to think about her kids going to school at a place where almost nobody looks like her, their mother. But also, she says, she went to a school with mostly white kids. And when she was graduating high school, her parents encouraged her to go to a Black college. So, you know, she could be in a place where she looked like the people around her. Her parents said they'd pay for school if she did that. So she did. She went to a black school and she says it was a great experience. She says she might encourage her own daughter to do the same. We will be checking back in with Antonia for more updates on what's on the minds of black working moms. Find her website and her podcast at modermia.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-M-E-A dot com. We would love to hear more thoughts on how you balance or juggle parenthood and work, how you've talked to your kids about racism, how you've raised your kids in environments where they don't look like the people around them. You know, anything at all that has resonated with you in this episode. Leave your comment at longestshortesttime.com in the comments for this episode. That's episode 85. This podcast is produced by me, Hilary Frank, and Abigail Keel. We are edited by Peter Clowney. Our engineers are Pete Karam and the Reverend John Delore. Our theme music is by the Batteries Duo. We get editorial support from Anne-Marie Baldonado and Antonia Akitunde. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. The great author and illustrator Cece Bell will be here, talking about how she lost her hearing at age four and the superpowers she imagined she had but kept secret from everyone. 
Well, almost everyone. I finally told um, the boy that I was had a huge crush on. I was trying to impress the boy, basically. Um, story of my life. Don't miss this show. Cece Bell's graphic novel, El Duffo, is by far my daughter's favorite book ever. It was so amazing to get the chance to interview Cece about her childhood and the superpowers she has now as a deaf parent. Make sure you're subscribed to The Longest Shortest Time in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're there, please rate us and write us a review. This helps us to climb in the charts and helps other people to find the show. And as always, we are looking for stories from you. Yep, you. We'd especially love to find a great step-parenting story. Maybe you're the step-parent in this story, or maybe you've got a step-parent. Maybe your dad remarried somebody who was really, really young when you were an adult, and even though you didn't want to, you kind of became friends with his new wife. This is like, um, in my head, I'm like writing my ideal movie version of this story. Anyway, most of all, we like to hear things that we have never heard before. So surprise us. Go to longestshortesttime.com and submit your story. Hey, quick, don't turn the podcast off. I know you probably left it on by accident, but I'm Arnie Niekamp from Hello from the Magic Tavern. This is what's going on. About a year ago, I fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King into the fantastical land of Foon. I'm joined by my co-host, a talking badger. Mmm, please. And a magical wizard. I am Usador, blue wizard of the 12th realm of Ephesius. His name goes on a lot longer than that, but oh, we don't have so time for names. it. We interview adventurers, magical creatures, talking animals, and we talk about buttholes a lot. I apologize <laughs> for that. If that sounds interesting, download Hello from the Magic Tavern. Aye, uh, and then you can join me in my quest to defeat the Dark Lord. Correct, Arnold? Correct. Download it on Earwolf, and the entire back catalog is also on the Howl app. Stand up. You sing Earwolf? Yeah. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Adam Sachs, and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Best Western made booking our family beach vacation a breeze. And it felt a little like... (laughs) Time to go. Okay, kids, back in the room. Good night. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western.